This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast about all things innovation in the people space. I'm Kyle Rode. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the Rebel HR Podcast, HR Rebels. We are extremely excited to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Joanna Pagonis. She was with us way back in episode 30, and that episode was titled affectionately, Leading with Heart, Don't Be an Asshole. So <laughs> welcome back to the podcast, uh, Dr. Pagonis. Thanks so much for inviting me to come back, Kyle. Uh, yeah, I love that title. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know that I ran that title by you before I labeled it that. So thank you for being a good sport with uh, with the title. I think you may have. I think you may have. So because it sounds familiar to me. <laughs> I, I I may have asked for yeah. for permission just because you're a very you know strategic professional. I didn't necessarily want you to feel bad about the title, but it was that that honestly last time when we were talking, that was so much of what our discussion you know was was around and. Um, I'm really excited to to welcome you back for a little bit of a different uh, discussion today because it's been a few years now. Uh, the world has changed. We have both changed. You know, the world of work is is constantly changing. And uh, so today we're going to be talking about some of the work that you've done, uh, and, and really based upon around some of your doctoral research in industrial and organizational psychology, organizational effectiveness. We're going to be talking about creating brave. Spaces, and so uh, I'd like to uh, maybe just start there and, and ask the question: What what prompted you to start to do some work in the kind of the safe and brave space arena? Thank you for asking that question. Um, it all started during the pandemic uh, when I was doing some research and talking to my clients in terms of like, what is it that you need to be a better leader to run your organizations more effectively. And during that time, I was also getting into the safety space. I had a lot of uh, new clients that either led uh, or worked in organizations where safety was a primary focus, usually physical, but they were expanding that uh, to psychological because they realized the benefits of that as well. Um, and during and through those conversations, a lot of the things that were brought to my attention was, you know, how do we have critical, crucial, difficult conversations with people that can still lead to positive outcomes where people can engage in these conversations without feeling like they'll be reprimanded, that uh, as a leader, they'll get a, uh, a grievance laid against them because they decided to hold somebody accountable and and that they felt like they just didn't have the skills or the, the experience or the confidence, I'll really say, to have those conversations. Right. And I thought, Sure, I guess I could come up with a course or a program or teach you the ABCs or the one, two, three of how to have a difficult conversation. But will that, is that really the solution? Will that address the root cause or core issues that you're experiencing? Because if people aren't, if there's no trust in the workplace, you can try to engage someone in a difficult conversation following steps one, two to four, let's say one to four. But if there's no trust there and the other person, isn't feeling safe at all, then you're not going to achieve the outcome that you want. It, it may actually even escalate to more of a negative uh, situation. And I thought, we need to back up the truck a little bit. I feel like people are trying to take a shortcut to the destination of like, let's just have a difficult conversation. I'm like, you know, if you really want to look at difficult conversations as an opportunity and not just as something you have to do, then let's actually go back a few destinations and look at the environment that you need to create in your workplace. 
So when it comes to having a difficult conversation, isn't as seen as something as, oh, I don't want to do this, but like, this is okay. I trust this person. This person trusts me. This is just another opportunity for us to come to a solution that will make us better as an organization and as individuals. And I thought that's what I want the course to focus on is that within it, we can talk about the strategy around having a difficult conversation, but I don't want that to be the main focus. I want to talk about what you need to create to get to that place. And that's where the whole concept of, well, then we need to focus it on how do you create true psychological safety? Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, this, this is one of those areas that I, you know, from my perspective, we weren't talking about psychological safety or, 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 you know, mental health or those sorts of things. When I started my career, it was all physical safety and it was, you know, it was, you know, repetitive use and, uh, you know, musculoskeletal and, and you know, obviously catastrophic incidents, et cetera. But, you know, it, I feel like this has, has really taken, taken hold as, as, you know, our, our employees and our teams are asking for, for support and we're seeing the negative ripple effect of uh, not having psychological safety in the workplace or not having mental health resources or, or support for your team. But, but I think the reality is that we still, especially in, in, in human resources, still really struggle with what that even means. And, and, and how do we pragmatically actually do that? Right. Because I think, I think it's really easy to say, yes, we want to be a safe space for our employees. And I don't think anybody's going to argue that we want our employees to have or not have psychological safety, <laughs> but we don't necessarily know how to do it. And so I'm curious to understand a little bit more about, you know, how do you approach that? And, and how does your, how specifically do you ad address that when you've got a, a client or, or an organization that's come to you and said, we want to do psychological safety. We want to help our employees. We know this is important, but we don't really know where to start. How, mm -hmm. how do you approach that question? Uh, yep. One of the things that we did was we wanted to challenge some myths and assumptions. And so we decided to hone in on, on the concept and the expression of this is a safe space. Because just listening and watching and observing our clients, uh, especially when we were working with them through different and various organization, organizational consulting contracts like reorgs, uh, restructuring projects, and they would bring people into a space to say, this is a safe space. Let's talk about what's working or not working. I'm like, well, is it is it really a safe space? And maybe we need to challenge that assumption and say, well, we actually need to train people on having the courage that is required to go against the grain, be a rebel, if you will, uh, say something that's unpopular to really help the organization get where it needs to be. So just to tell somebody this is a safe space, a lot of people still prevents them from wanting to even have these conversations. And we would see in these spaces, like we, we would see, we would see and we would hear two things. One, we would see people with like these like deadpan expressions on their face, like poker faces. Like you couldn't tell. Sometimes you could tell when they were really pissed off and didn't want to be there. Other times they looked confused or they just didn't want to say anything. And the other thing that we would hear silence, right? We would hear maybe a few people talk about this is good and say what they thought needed to be said. But a lot of the times there was just silence. And I'm like, this isn't safe because if it was safe, there would be laughter. There would be uh, 
conversation. There would be people challenging. There would be people maybe getting frustrated, and you know, as they're challenging each other's viewpoints and perspectives. But that wasn't existing, so there was no safety there. And so we're like, well, then how do we build towards safety? And so we introduced the whole concept of courage or a brave space. And so what we said is, what we need to do first is look within ourselves to find the courage to speak up. And why is that critically important? And so we focused first on leaders to say, you have to role model this for other people. You can't just say this is safe. You have to say, I'm going to ask you to be brave and I'm going to role model that. So I'm going to share something maybe about myself. I'll be vulnerable. I will talk about um, what I think isn't working. And and hopefully if you see me doing this enough times and, and, and you see other organizational leaders not reprimanding me for doing it, you'll start to trust that you could do it as well. And then when you start doing that, when you start to see the people that work side by side with you or report to you doing it, that you listen and you recognize and, and even commend somebody for taking the risk to do so because you have to reinforce that behavior. And I think where we kind of go astray as leaders is we shut those kind of conversations down because it's not always comfortable when people bring challenges to us, whether it's about a challenge that they're experiencing internally, like an issue in the workplace, or if they want to challenge the system. As a leader, we don't necessarily want to invite people to bring those kind of conversations. We just want to keep the status quo, like everything's just humming along really nicely. Don't throw a wrench into my day. I don't need that. And so we need to be more aware of like, if we're going to role model this, then we need to, we have to like check our own level of discomfort to create or a space where people can feel that they have the courage to do so as well and then commend them when they do that. And so that's where we started to focus and hone in on and like, then what are the skills and the strategies that you teach to leaders to, to start role modeling some of those behaviors? And so that's, that's kind of where we started. Got it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that's a powerful, that's a powerful concept that, again, I think it sounds like everybody hears that and like, yeah, absolutely. I want to do that. I mean, there's a reason that people are listening to a podcast called Rebel HR because they believe that change needs to be made or they, you know, believe that, you know, it, there needs to be some level of innovation. Uh, but it's really easy to say that. And in the moment when, when something disruptive comes across your desk, and it's not comfortable, but it might be true. <laughs> How do you react? You know, do, do you get, do you blow a gasket? Uh, do you, do you panic? Do you, you know, do you, do you reprimand? Do you turn into a detective and start asking a million questions that makes that person feel really uncomfortable? Right. I mean, like there's a lot of different ways to, to react. And, and, but, you know, I think taking, taking that and thinking about that from a leadership standpoint and modeling that for your employees to me makes, Makes a lot of sense. So, so what is the, what has the reaction been with leadership groups that are, that are going through this type of, of, of program that maybe don't really understand why they're doing it or, or what the, you know, what the kind of the purpose is? How, how do you approach those, those, those folks that are kind of like, well, what's this all about? Right. So one of the things that we do is we're like, you know, if you're going to introduce, because like we have a whole online course around this whole concept and, and the strategic steps that you need to build that either as a formal leader or informal leader. So when organizations are like, can you bring this into our space? We like to anchor it to a strategy. So it's relevant and practical and applicable. Otherwise, 
it'll go through one ear and out the other. It will become a check the box activity with no true understanding of what's the purpose of it. And so you always like to start with purpose. Why do you want to do this? What is it? What's something you're doing in your organization right now that you can anchor this to? And so a lot of the work that we're doing with our clients is like get change management. They're, they're looking at how they're going to change the way they perform as an organization and, and even how they're organized to be more effective at achieving their mission. And so there's a lot of change involved in that. And uh, there we have so much discomfort that will come from that and a lot of fear. And so we say, let's anchor this program to your change management strategies. And so that as people are taking this course and going through the modules, they're actually applying it to everything that they're doing in terms of the change, whether it's a focus group and saying what's working and not working, whether it's like, okay, we've come up, we're going to come up with a new organizational structure. That freaks people out even to start thinking about where are they going to sit in the organization? And so once again, what are they learning in the course? And just having really intentional conversations like, what have you learned in the course that can help you and support you through this phase of the project? So that's how we're doing it to make it more relevant, applicable. But we're also embedding it in all of our leadership development programs too, because we're trying to teach this as a skill to individual leaders to say, whatever you're doing in your organization, whether you're going through chain, an organizational restructuring or whether you're instituting or implementing a new strategic plan, how can you take what you're learning here to make your team more effective, but also your organization as well. And so that's how we've been doing it to just link it to some kind of purpose. So people are applying it and not just sitting there in a passive way saying, oh, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, I think it, it I, I like that you talked about, you know, the, the change management you know, aspect here, because I, I view, I view a lot of this as, you know, you know, safe space. Um, you know, brave spaces, uh, really having, you know, people feel comfortable, you know, challenging the, the way that we do things or, 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 or don't do things. Uh, for me, I think that's where so much of the, of the, the positive innovations come from. And, and so for an organization that is trying to be change ready or, or manage through, you know, big changes, i.e. all of us, <laughs> you know, that, that, that this is a really, uh, really, critical topic. So, so I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, you, you, you chose to, um, you, you know, use a different term. So you, you're not doing psychological safety training. You're doing creating brave spaces training. What prompted you to take that, that lens on, on this, uh, this workplace challenge? Yeah, that, that's a, a good question. I think it, it comes down to like, even just how I approach all of the work that we do. I, there's so many concepts that are out there that we hear over and over and over, and it's just achieved a level of saturation to the point where people just start to ignore it or they think they know everything there is to know about it. And it, it starts to like become lip service or just like, oh, here's another one on this. I already know this. I'm, I'm done with this topic. Like it, it happened with all the initiatives around equity, diversity, inclusion, even in our pre-recording call, we were talking about like inclusion and all the efforts and strategies around inclusion people are almost done with. And so I was like, I don't want to call this a psychological safety course. I don't want to call it an EDI course. I don't want to call it a crucial conversations course, you know, that already exists. Uh, so how do we pique people's interest and how do we present it in a radically different way? And so that's where I, I'm like, as a woman working in a male dominated industry before I started my own business, 
it took a lot of courage on my part, bravery to speak up, challenge things to, and just take a risk and like even pursue a promotion or ask for a raise. And I thought, I want to focus it on that because I think at the end of the day, a lot of people think psychological safety is someone else's job. Creating, you know, an equitable and inclusive workplace is someone else's job. And, and I see that a lot from informal leaders, but I see a lot of formal leaders waiting around for someone to do it as well. And so I thought, no, I'm going to focus it on courage because at the end of the day, it, it's up to you. I'm sorry, you're not going to sit around and wait for someone. It's up to you. And is it going to be scary? Yes. Are you, do you feel like you're going to make mistakes and fumble along the whole way? Yes. What's going to keep you going is knowing the purpose behind it and knowing that it takes a lot of guts to have that courage to do it. And, and you know what? It, it, don't you want to be one of those people that says, I can do this. I'm built for this, right? And I think it's a different way to talk about equity, diversity, inclusion. I think it's a different way to talk about psychological safety. It puts the onus and accountability on the individual. And almost it's like I'm throwing down the challenge to say, show up and be brave and do it day after day, even when it's exhausting. Because if you don't, no one else is going to do it. So who's it like, who's it up to then? Like, it's up to you. So yeah, I think that's where the whole concept of brave spaces came from. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the reality is that, that that's, that's really what we're talking about is somebody, you know, first of all, a leader being brave enough to be uncomfortable, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, this, this is not necessarily comfortable for, for an organization. Um, it takes a lot of bravery for somebody to, to speak up. Um, especially if they are in a, a minoritized group. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, and, and it's, it's really easy for many of us to, to forget about that. Right. Especially for those of us that are in the majority group. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's, 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 we just don't have that, that context, but, but part of this is really, it's about building stronger organizations and stronger teams. And, you know, so I really love, I love the idea that, you know, bravery, courage, and strength, you know, they all go together, right? So doing this is really a part of, of, being stronger as, you know, as a team, as an organization. Um, so, you know, one of the things we, before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about how, you know, the, the, the psychological safety, um, movement for, for lack of a better word has, you know, it, it's kind of been corporatized a little bit, right? Like everybody wants to have psychological safety, right? And, and, you know, and, and you'll see it on, <laughs> You'll see it in like job ads and you'll see it in, you know, in all sorts of kind of marketing material. But, but so often my perception is a lot of this is just like lip service, right? It's like, well, we have to say this so that we can, you know, attract Gen Z, right? Or, or this is what everybody, this is what our competitors are saying. But, but so often, um, you know, it, it can be just that window dressing. And, and if somebody does speak up, there can be, retaliation and there can, it, it can be an unsafe experience or detrimental experience. So, so for, for HR professionals that, that want to, to, to build that safe space, but there's, they're struggling with the symptoms of, of, of a lack of safety or bravery, uh, in, in this case, in their teams, how, how, how can we kind of First of all, identify that that's occurring where, where maybe we don't have a workplace that is, that is promoting this type of bravery. 
Um, and then, and then how can we, you know, how can we go about addressing that in a way that, that, that makes sense? Mm-hmm. I always say you start, the journey first starts with knowing thyself. And, and I think even on the last episode we recorded together, we talked a lot about emotional intelligence. And what I discovered is it, it really starts there. And when you look at emotional intelligence and what is involved in being emotionally intelligent, it starts with that self-awareness. And it, you have to put the work in to periodically pause and self-reflect on what's working, what's not working, what your triggers are, what your strengths are. How are you reacting to the circumstances in your workplace? Uh, how, what are you doing? What are you saying? And how is it impacting others? What outcomes are you achieving through your actions, uh, through your decisions, through your demeanor, the way you show up? And how is that influencing other people as well? And either empowering or detracting them from also being able to achieve positive outcomes. So first start with yourself and, and, and start asking yourself those questions. I, I say, you know, any time that you can carve a little bit of like, you know, self-reflection time in your calendar, do so. Whether it's on the way to work, on the way back, building it into your calendar, like 15 minutes a week or 30 minutes a week to, to think about what are the outcomes you're trying to achieve in your career, in your organization, and, and how well or not are you achieving those outcomes. So start there first, because I think that will give you some insight into like the, the level of comfort you have in the workplace to do what you need to do, to be successful and to help other people be successful. And then from there, I mean, helping others. How do you connect with other people? So once again, like, how are you developing relationships? What are you saying or doing that's either enabling relationships to be built or not? And then what is your, your perspective or thoughts or mindset around conflict and, and responding to challenges? When a challenge is presented, do you feel, how comfortable are you with that? And, and what is behind that level of comfort? It's, of course, discomfort, I think, is absolutely critical to experience, to want to push you into change. And so what is your level of comfort with challenges? And how do you approach those? Do you approach them in a functional or dysfunctional way? And, and then look at what are you doing to contribute to the overall sense of inclusion, well-being, safety for yourself and other people? Uh, and, and how are you, main- if you're working towards creating a level of safety for others, then what are you doing to maintain that over time, I think? You said something that was interesting. Like for myself and one organization I worked in, I was a, a formal leader, a senior leader, and I wanted to create that level of safety for my team so that they can come and they can present challenges and, and be comfortable with that to get us to a level of excellence. Um, and so challenging things was absolutely critical for that to occur. But I realized that the organization I worked for didn't necessarily welcome that or reinforce that, those kind of behaviors. It was actually, they were, we were reprimanded for not just swimming going with the stream, right? Mm-hmm. We, I, I, I just swim with everyone else and don't try to create any waves, right? And so I had to engage in a lot of self-reflection, like all those steps that I just listed. And ultimately I made the decision to just be uncomfortable as much as I needed to be to test the system we worked within. And what I discovered, which I needed to discover was, yep, I would be reprimanded Every time that I did that, anytime I advocated for my team, anytime that I supported them in doing what they needed to do to help the organization be better, 
we were reprimanded for that. And I realized no matter what I did, we, I wasn't going to be able to create, uh, I, I couldn't reinforce my employees being brave because every time I tried to do that and create a sense of safety from, for them, I would be reprimanded for my executive leaders for doing so. And, and there's only so long you can, you know, hide that from your team. And so eventually I made the decision to leave the organization, but I did what I needed to do. And I left with no regrets at the end of that. So that's, that's the reality sometimes of what we, when we're trying to create that sense of psychological safety, we have to test the boundaries, if you will, of the system we work within to really know, is this possible? And then when you find that answer, you decide, do I want to stay? Can I stay? Does this align with my values or do I need to like leave? And, and that unfortunately was one of the decisions I had to make, but it led me to a better path, to a more fulfilling path, a better career. Yeah, I think, well, there, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I think there's just, that was a very comprehensive answer. I can tell that you have done your doc- doctoral research on this type of stuff. <laughs> Um, you know, it's fascinating, you know, that the, the story you told there at the end about, you know, the, the, the organization you work for actually, actually, you know, reprimanding you for, for doing your, your job. I had a very similar experience, uh, in, in one of my former employers. And ultimately I could not reconcile the fact that, you know, I, I, I couldn't drive change in the way that I, I believed it needed to be driven without, you know, myself or, or more importantly, my team being targeted as disruptive or, or problems. Right. right? But the reality is that, that it was necessary. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, ultimately it was a, it was a wonderful experience in my career and I don't, don't regret any of those, those experiences, but it, it, it is an example of an organization that was not comfortable with with kind of that that advocacy or or change or it, and you know for from my standpoint a lot of it was just systemic change that was necessary in order to to compete in the in the talent marketplace that that we were operating within but you know so so you know for for those of us that are in an a, a, an HR role i think a lot of times we do feel like we're like we're the bearers of bad news Right. And, and a lot of times we are hearing that we are hearing some things that are are very uncomfortable or, you know, some people's experiences that are that, that need to be addressed, but aren't fun to address. And, and and a lot of times we are those 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 parties that have to speak truth to power as uncomfortable as that might be. And as again, this is another example where it's easy for me to say this, that we have to do that. It's a whole heck of a lot harder to walk into your CEO's office and say, Hey, we really suck at this. This is a really big problem organizationally and we need to address this. Uh, and so what I think happens a lot of times is we as HR professionals sugarcoat it, right? Or glass over the, 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 the reality of the situation. And so, you know, as we think about creating a brave space, how can we think about that as individuals? It, it, having to deliver this message or having to be the kind of the the bearer of of bad news or even not bad news but just just disruptive news to how we how we typical typically need to operate what what advice do you have for us as we struggle with this within our our day to day yeah that's an excellent question it almost goes back full circle to like why i even wanted to develop that that course or focus on cre- ex- developing this whole concept of brave space it goes back to like 
let's back up the truck a bit before you even go into that room to have that disruptive conversation. Can you tell me where the level of trust is between you and that CEO? What have you done to contribute to that level of trust? So the CEO and you have a relationship when you're kind of like a mutual respectful symbiosis where like he or she thinks you're credible just as much as you value them, their expertise, their credibility as well. And so you have to invest the time to develop that relationship because if you don't have trust, it will fall on deaf ears. If you go in and there's trust, the CEO's like, this person's coming to me because they value me. They care about me. They care about this organization, the people in it. So if they're going to deliver some critical news, I better listen because I trust them. If that trust doesn't exist, they're going to tell you to get the F out of their office (laughs) as quickly or they'll just give you lips or they'll nod and then you'll walk out and they'll completely ignore everything that you said. And so it's, it's about the strategies that you need to implement to develop trust. And I think it goes back to like, and, and I have these conversations with some people when I coach them. And I'm like, I really dislike this person. They're my boss. I feel like they're undermining me. And I'm like, tell me what have you done to develop a relationship? Like, what is one thing you know about them, about them personally? Nothing. What is one thing they know about you personally? Nothing. Okay. How do you feel about maybe extending the olive branch and saying, Hey, I'd like to get to know you a bit better. That's not always work related. Are you open to having a coffee with me? See where that goes, right? Start there and then start to develop some rapport with that person and see where it goes. Because I've had some relationships with people who, yeah, I wouldn't want to invite to my house for dinner, but was there trust there? For sure. Had I put in the time and effort to get to know them and vice versa? Yes. Because then they would start to ask me questions about myself. So that's the first step. And then the second thing is I like to teach a coach approach, like be curious, Start with empathy. So empathy means, yeah, you may think you got to go and tell your CEO like this isn't going to work, but maybe the CEO on some level knows this. So how about you go in with curiosity and some empathy and be like, I'm going to be curious. I'm going to ask some questions to see where they're at right now in this situation. They may be looking for an olive branch. They may be looking for someone to come to them and extend a hand and say, I'm here to help you. But if you go in with like, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to help you versus what kind of help do you need? I've been seeing X, Y, Z. How are you feeling about that? What can I do to support you? They may actually present to you the solution that you want to present, or they may come to you and say, I acknowledge that this is a problem and you didn't even have to say anything, but they don't know where to go. That's when you go in. You go in with your solution and they are like seeing you as the savior to help them. So I would say this is one way to approach some of those conversations. Absolutely. And I think, I think a lot of this comes down to, you know, that the, yeah, the, the, the trust, the empathy, all, and, you know, side note, these are all skills that most HR professionals naturally have some, some capability in. But a lot of times we don't think about it in the context of ourselves. We're thinking about building trust with, within our team and, and amongst team members. So could take a little bit of our own, our own advice. I do, you know, side note, it's funny listening to that, you know, it's like, it's about trust. And one of the ways that you build trust is by being transparent and having candor and, and sometimes being, being a trusted resource and and an advocate, even when it's not a comfortable message. And so, you know, you know, maybe it's as simple as, as also just remembering that that's, 
it's it's that's how you make it better right, right? By, by doing the thing that's hard then it then it becomes easier the next time you do it and because you're 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 building that kind of that respect uh it's like care and candor if you go in with yeah. all candor and no care you're an asshole, which goes back to the first title of our of our podcast together, right? And but if you're all care and no candor, then no one kind of sees you as a credible person who holds self and others accountable. You need both, I think, to really build trust. Yeah, I agree. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And and there are times when I'm good at both of those things, and there's times when that equation's off. It just kind of totally depends. right. <laughs> oh yeah, all works in progress, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Joanna, this has just been an amazing uh, conversation, just as just as good as uh, as almost two years ago. Uh, but I, I do want to shift gears. I'm fascinated to hear your responses because this is this is new since uh, since we last spoke. The Rebel HR Flash Round. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Here we go. Question number one: Where does HR need to rebel? I saw that question before in the chat. I'm like, oh, how do I answer that? <laughs> I guess. Um, working with HR, I feel like sometimes they take such an operational approach to things. And I think what we need to do is look at the strategy behind it a little bit. Like, what is our purpose? What are we trying to do? And how do we better position ourselves to support the people that we service? And, and taking a step away from just purely operational tasks and looking at things that, like me, probably the things that we talked about. How are we really developing trust with the people that we're supposed to be working side by side and advising and consulting? Hmm. Um, how do we truly role model what we preach? And, and like, I love what you said before, like we need to, focus our, on ourselves as individuals and how we present ourselves in the workplace and be like, this is like, we're going to role model for you what we tell you to do. And so how are we doing that? So almost like stopping and taking an internal focus to say, how are we treating ourselves and each other? And almost like, you know, testing the concepts that we teach within ourselves and our teams and then learning from that so we can better provide a service when we consult others. Because if we don't nail it for ourselves, we're not going to, no one's going to take us seriously. And I think that's where I got frustrated with HRs. Like they're, they're coming to teach us leadership. They're coming to teach us strategy. They're coming to help us with whatever it is that we're working on. But internally, they're like toxic and they're overworked and overwhelmed. And they're not communicating internally with each other. And and I see HR consultants not getting along with their their own VPs or directors. And I'm like, I, I would almost like not really take what they would say seriously because they never took the time to invest in themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, you need to do that before you start to consult or recommend solutions because uh, that's also, I think, where credibility comes from. So as HR people, invest in yourselves. Uh, you need to do that, I think. I, I see HR people just running themselves ragged, they're overwhelmed, overworked. Like, look at your own strategies. Look at how you take care of each other. You'll be in a much better position to provide consulting services. What are your thoughts Absolutely. on that, Kyle? Being being embedded in HR for as long as you've been. Yeah, almost two decades, which is crazy to think. It, at this point, um, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, one of the more formative experiences in my career was actually being a leader and, and actually learning 
what leaders go through on a daily basis. And, and it, had I not been through that early in my, um, in my corporate life cycle, I would not be good at helping people, helping others be leaders because I wouldn't have that developmental experience. And then, yeah, you know, I think, I think that continuing education, the, the, the curiosity, the ability to learn and the ability to admit when you don't know something is as important as being a subject matter expert on the things that you do know. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, I think continuing to invest in yourself is, is, is critical. And, and yeah, we got to, I like this, um, I can't remember, uh, which episode it was, but we, one of the sayings was put your oxygen mask on first, mm-hmm. you know, so we, we have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of others as well. Mm-hmm. So question number two, who should we be listening to? I would say people that piss you off, people <laughs> whose opinions you totally disagree with. Um, I think it's so critically important to be like, oh, I know my stuff. I know my stuff really well. But why don't you listen to somebody who has a very opposing view? Because if we're going to create psychological safety, we have to be, we have to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And we have to be comfortable in asking people to challenge what we do and how we do it. One way to practice that is to listen to podcasts, listen to uh, TV shows, episodes, um, uh, news stations that have differing opposing views of your own, be curious and see how you get triggered and what's triggering that in you. Practice. And I think actually, in order to be innovative and disruptive, we, we can't only seek evidence that supports our point of view. We have to look at evidence as very contradictory to what we know. Otherwise, how do we really push towards a true state of excellence that is always shifting and changing? Always. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, the, the exercise of identifying what triggers you, um, you know, that's, that's fascinating. I don't know that I've ever watched or listened to anything with that specific goal in mind. So I'm going to, I'm going to write that one down. We'll see. Think I know what it is. We'll see what it is. Yeah. Know. I'm going to let the audience, if you want to know. How that turns out, send me an email. We'll uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> oh, I have one recommendation. If you're a Democrat, listen to a news station that has Republican points of view and vice versa. There, nothing yeah. will piss you off faster than if you're a Democrat listening to Fox News and if you're Fox News listening to CNN. I guess. And as we go into 2024, that's a per- perfect example of hey, we can do. You could do this a lot. Yes. Just just maybe you know maybe you know just. Do it in a safe way yeah. so you're not like, you know, Too completely triggered. mentally exhausted by the end of the movie. <laughs> All right. Last question here. So the wonderful, uh, wonderful discussion. It's been great to reconnect again. Uh, I know you you offer uh, you, uh, online courses. You offer a, a number of different services and and obviously our wealth of knowledge. So how can our listeners connect with you and how, how can they learn more? Yeah, I'd say definitely like visit our website, synogapsolutions.com and take a look at our online course catalog if you're looking for professional development. Follow us on on LinkedIn and Instagram. That's the social media outlets that we use. And you can, I encourage you to like connect with me or follow me on LinkedIn. And, and through LinkedIn, you can send me messages if you're curious to contact us and see how we can better support you. Because although our space is like leadership consulting and developing leaders, we do focus on so much more, like, as I mentioned, organizational consulting, culture assessments. We do so much in terms of our consulting space, not just our leadership development and training space. So if you're curious, and you're like, I wonder if they do this. 
just send me a message on LinkedIn or, or um, connect with us through our contact page on our website. Perfect. And of course, as always, we will have that information in the show notes. So open up your podcast player, uh, check it out. Just some great content out there, uh, both for yourself as a, as a self-leader or as a leader of people or for your team. So uh, Joanna, thank you again so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up. And thank you for all the work in creating brave spaces. Thank you for inviting me to come back. It was, a, it was an absolute pleasure. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.